What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast with me, Sebastian Noren, your Swede, and Elliot Niblock, your Yank. Elliot, how are things in Virginia? Oh, God. <laughs> you always say it like that. Um, it's not raining, and yet it's still raining. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just like Ben dreary overcast and between 92 and 98 percent humidity so all three of my weather applications have been telling me no precipitation for the next two hours and i think okay that's great i've been cooped up all day i'm gonna go ride my bike to a happy hour and do some studying and it's gonna be excellent oh wow seven minutes later my shoes are so soaked that my socks are wet because it's not exactly raining but it's not not raining so it's just like uncomfortable mist across the state damp there we go yeah so i'm gonna ignore the fact that you have three weather apps uh and i mean (laughs) okay so no 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 that's a side topic for bicycle uh, commuting i need them for a slower day here we got a lot of things to talk about here after a uh, fairly interesting match day six uh we only have one team now at the top of the table with six wins out of the first six games that's liverpool we'll get to their game against southampton but i figured we'll start things off with um one of the games that we sort of you know highlighted in our previous episode and that was the london derby between west ham and chelsea which ended in a scoreless draw now usually i don't like talking about scoreless draws they're usually not super exciting but but I was like come on come on we all know the butt's coming Chelsea I feel like they did enough to win this game well they clearly literally did not they, no of course not but in a you know what I mean yeah you they, they're a little hard done by at the end of the result yeah yeah no totally I mean I think that it's one of those platitudes that you often hear about you know, the truly great teams can still manage to win. Yeah, actually, Petr Cech, former Chelsea great, current Arsenal keeper, said this about Arsenal's play recently, in that you have to win ugly, right? And that's something that for all their hopes, they were not able to do this weekend. And, you know, I think that they're, they're still a very strong side, but these are the games that we end up always looking back to in April in the coulda, woulda, shoulda scenarios. Yeah, no, absolutely. And West Ham did have a couple of good chances. I think they did a very good job defensively of keeping Chelsea out. And, you know, hard fought point for them. So, and in all honesty, too, this is a bigger game for West Ham than it is for Chelsea. This oh, is yeah. one of West Ham's bigger games of the season when Chelsea comes. So... All in all, good points for for them. Chelsea, of course, with that uh, drop down to third place. They're still undefeated, though. Five wins, one draw. Same as Man City, who uh, picked up a nice little 5 nothing win over Cardiff. Oh, is that your scoreline? Did you call that? toot my own horn here. (laughs) There we go. Yes, called it. Aguero, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, and then two. By Riyad Mahrez. Yeah, Mar. I tell you what, Mahrez is uh, 
doing a little more at the Etihad than I thought he would. Oh, I shouldn't say at the Etihad. This game was in Wales, but. Yeah, I mean, coming off the bench, too, with about half an hour to go and still putting on a very good performance, scoring twice. Uh, yeah. So that cake on cake is really working for a city. So but, I mean, I think, though, that that's, you know, that that is something that I did predict at the beginning of the season, that Mares is going to struggle to get a starting spot in this team. But, boy, you know, if if I'm a, if I am a city fan on the one hand, I am happy to have a super sub. And if I'm Riyad Mahrez on the other hand, I'm happy to be that super sub. You know, I mean, like getting into this team at all is a challenge. And at the point he's at in his career, I think that this is, you know, this is perfect for him, right? Like I don't think that he's going to be like he, he's a really talented player, but he's never going to be that kind of De Bruyne, Hazard, um, you know, Mbappe-level, truly world-class star. But he's a really useful player at the highest level. And so, and then, you know, I, Riyad, please make me my words. I would be happy to see you go on and, you know, be a Galactico and start in a bunch of Classicos down the years. But I just don't see that happening. But whereas he could have gone to a team like, for example, a West Ham, right, you know, a club that has history is in the Premier League, but he's going to be that big money signing and all the pressure is going to be on him. This is absolutely not that case. And yet he's still featuring in the greatest league in the world for arguably the best team in that league. No, so, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. For him. No, that that's very, very true. And speaking of De Bruyne, he's still out, of course, with an injury. Nonetheless, the bench. We've, we've talked a lot about benches here so far this season, but just showing you how strong Man City are as a team and the depth they have. Their bench for this game was, sure, they had Muric as their backup keeper, who cares? But then you had Vincent Kompany, John Stones, David Silva, Riyad Mahrez, uh, Phil Foden, who's a very promising England player, and then Gabriel Jesus. Jesus! Jesus! <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're crazy stacked. And still, the... The enduring significance of Fabian Delph is one of the most baffling things in the Premier League. But I think you also have to say, like, to, uh, you know, yet another feather in the many feathered cap of Pep Guardiola, right? In terms of being able to use the players he has effectively. Um, now, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I've never really thought that Fabian Delph is a world beater, but he kind of has been... Uh, converted, uh, albeit earlier in his career, to a left back in a similar move to how Demarcus Beasley, for example, for the U.S. national team, and then now also for you know his club in MLS as well, has just kind of moved back. And you know, it's if you're not going to be a world-beating left winger in the final third, you can still be really useful going up forward in attack as a fullback. And he has taken that role with a plum, I think. Yeah, really. He's sort of a lesser version of James Milner as far as utilitarian players go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a little more, also much more of a pure wide player than, you know, I mean, Milner Del- has Del- ever been. Delph did play a lot of centrally for uh, Aston Villa. Yeah, but it's, I, I still think that he's, he's at his best when he's out wide. 
Um, although then again, you know, I was just saying I was surprised to see him featuring for City um, at this point in his career. But here we are. Yep. Go for it, Fabian. That's very true. So Man City, they go up uh, second place on goal differential. So, uh, yeah, pretty interesting top trio there with Liverpool, City and Chelsea. Watford still in fourth place after getting a 1-1 draw on the road against Fulham. Andre Gray scored in the second minute to give Watford the lead, but then Alexander Mitrovic, player that I've been championing since he came over from uh, Anderlecht to England, uh, didn't have the best of times with Newcastle, but seems to have you know got a good little thing going now here with Fulham. So he scored in the 78th minute, tied things up. So uh, kudos to Watford for still sticking up there in top four place, and. Fulham slowly but surely starting to get some points here. I mean, it's it's already a rat's nest in the lower third of the table. <laughs> oh God, Seb, that's a it's a little harsh. <laughs> Is it though? I mean, you can you can at least pick like a slightly cuter form of like small road, like a groundhog's den. How about that? Come on, it's a beehive. <laughs> well, that's. Now this metaphor is just getting weird. Hornet's nest. I'd, no, that's the opposite. They're like the teams at the bottom part of the table are toothless, not you know hornets. Those are both fast and you know I guess I shouldn't say deadly. Well, it depends. I don't it's, know. Are bee allergies the same as like hornet allergies? Do those have crossover? I have no I, idea. Yeah, They're, me either. It's a slew of sloths. A slew of sloths. Yes. Is slew the actual? I have no like, idea. I have no like idea. murder, a murder of sloths. Yes, a murder of sloths. Yep. Okay. Anyways, back to the murder of sloths in Newcastle, Cardiff, Huddersfield. Yes. No, that's uh-huh. true. Uh, so Newcastle, Cardiff, and Huddersfield, like you said, still the three teams without a win so far this season. So they're all sitting on two points right now in the relegation zone. Yeah, um, and also it's it kind of weird fascinating parallel between Cardiff and Huddersfield is that not only are they like so all three are on three points or two points excuse me but Cardiff and Huddersfield both have the same goal differential of minus 11 with also three scored and 14 conceded (laughs) I think for Huddersfield and Cardiff this is going to be a long long season these teams do not stack up yeah, no, a long season, but unfortunately, as a result of that, likely a short tenure in the Premier League for the recently promoted Welsh team. And, you know, Huddersfield have, they've they've been, I, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I think that you have to give them credit for their, you know, recent performances in the Premier League, um, but I don't. It's it's hard to see him staying up again, don't you think? Oh yeah. Um, I just I don't. And again, the, it's early in the season to be talking relegation, but here we are. And I think that I think that Newcastle could probably bring themselves out of this. I think you know Burnley, West Ham. And Fulham all have to be nervous. Maybe to some extent Brighton as well. Oh yeah, uh, Brighton and Southampton should be worried as well. 
I still I I don't see the Saints going down. Although then again, you know, it was not that long ago that they themselves you know returned to the Premier League. So uh, despite their illustrious academy, they're certainly not immune to the drop either. No, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting season, both at the top of the table and towards the bottom. In the middle, maybe not so much. <laughs> One team who's close to the middle—that's Manchester United. A uh, one-one draw at home against the Wolves. Yeah. Oy, 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 oy. So Fred <laughs> got them the lead in the 18th minute. Nice what? for him. Good strike. Very good goal for him. Oh, and a, be- a beautiful assist from Pogba. Yeah. That was just like a touch made of silk and clouds. Yeah, he's pre- he's pretty good at this whole football thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not bad. And then how Motinho tied things up in the 53rd minute. Wolverhampton that looked more like the team who would actually go on and win this game. Yeah, that's the crazy thing is that, well, it's not necessarily crazy given Jose is Jose. Um, but, well, so first I should say Matinho's strike was beautiful. Yeah. Um, but with only 35% of the possession in this match, Wolves still managed eight shots on target to United's six. Yep. So, United had more shots overall. They had 15 to Wolves' 11. But still, you know, the... That this is not the defensive stalwart Mourinho side that he has kind of built his brand on, and yet it's also by turns not a particularly exciting attacking side either. So no, it's not. And uh, I mean, really, we should say that Wolves are not your common newcomer in the league here. They have a very good team on paper. They've invested a lot of money. So, um, oh, yeah. That, I mean, I think that's a good qualifier. They're not only, you know, they, they looked phenomenal in championship last season and they've improved from that point. You know, I think there's a reason that despite being newly promoted in that, you know, last discussion we had that we did not mention Wolverhampton whatsoever in the relegation conversation. And again, there's a lot of. A lot of football left to be played, but I think they are pretty securely going to be clear of the drop and, you know, definitely solidly mid-table. Whether or not United are mid-table also, well, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see. No, I think Wolves can definitely aim for that middle-table spot, and then you would assume they're going to keep pumping in the money and starting to make a push for a European Cup spot and then take it from there. But definitely a team to keep your eye on in the future, because, uh, I mean, really, that's the name of the game now. Money talks. And then oh, it has yeah. done so for a long time. But now when you get a club who is smaller in stature as far as history and titles and all that stuff goes, but they come in and with this financial backing, they could become sort of the quote-unquote new Everton who's going to be fighting, our, you know, seven, six, and then maybe a year or there they're, they'll pop up and they'll finish fourth. So, yeah, well, I mean, that's that's, of course, the dream, right, is to to move from mid table on into fighting for those top slots. And then, you know, lo and behold, a Watford finds themselves at the end of the season in the position they're in right now of fourth. But that is that like dream of Champions League football. It's one of the great things about this league is that not only is it so competitive, but you know, with its wafer rankings, then we do have that fourth spot for the Champions League. So it's possible, but it's it's still a really tough ask. You oh, know? absolutely. But, yeah, it's going to take some work, but 
as long as they do smart investments in players and everything, you can't put it beyond the realm of possibility. That's yeah, sure. no, absolutely. I mean, and it, I wouldn't be shocked if Arsenal finished the season in the position they're in right now being sixth. I would be shocked if Watford finished fourth. But, you know, oh, I mean, it's, like, especially... though. So this is something we should say, though, is that even though we've been singing the praises of Wolves here... Watford have scored almost twice as many goals as Wolverhampton with 11 to Wolves 6. And Wolves also have an even goal differential. Like, they've scored 6 and conceded 6 times as well. So I think that Watford have to be—they have to keep scoring because I could see them kind of falling off and they and Wolves finishing roughly, you know, 11-12 at the end of the season. But— yeah. No, Again, that's... you know, gotta you gotta gotta aim high in order to get there. So that's very true. Some other Manchester United related news. Uh, they announced a record revenues of five hundred and ninety million pounds, which um, I forgot to translate how much that is in uh, USD. So let's do that real quick. What, like seven hundred million? Um, Eight hundred million? Well, let me Google. <laughs> Come on, man! It's like even just plug it right into Google. Seven hundred and seventy-six. Ah, yeah, that was, that was right about there. Yep. That's a lot of money. Although the actual profits uh, went down from about eighty-one million pounds to forty-four million pounds. Uh, however, they have had you know good uptick in wages and stuff like that. Uh, let's see, increase of thirty-two point four million in wages compared to last year. Thanks a lot, Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, I mean, how do you how do you interpret these figures? I mean, do you as because you're the United supporter here? I mean, do you feel like are they're encouraging in terms of? Yeah, the future, the financial future of the club and buying big name players, maybe even in January, if United are still, you know, sitting kind of at a tepid seventh. Or are you frustrated by the performances that you've seen when, you know, you're seeing that against the horizon of all this cash coming in? Well, it's sort of two different heads of a monster here. You got the team and Mourinho and all that stuff. And then you got the the brand and Ed Woodward and all his work. And for from that perspective, Ed Woodward should have a lot of, or should be given a lot of credit because he's very good at that part of thing, building the brand, getting official sponsors for everything, official watchmaker, official. They released a watch that's like five grand. Um, so don't, Jesus. yeah, don't buy that. That's way too much money. Um, and, you know, there's official... I mean, they've sold, like, their training kits got sponsors on it. Everything is sponsored. So, yes, that's good that their their revenue is high. The profits are good. You can then use that to improve the squad. But, like we said before, Ed Woodward's not very good when it comes to the actual football inside of things. That's why they need a director of football to come in. And that's why they need a new manager so that the team on the pitch can match up to the brand that is Manchester United now, which is one of the biggest sports brands in the world. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I think that the the quality on the pitch is maybe not 100% there, but more or less there. I mean, I would definitely just be putting pressure on 
the, the Jose Mourinho point in that. Yeah, no, right? I, don't, I don't hate the squad that they have right now. I think Alexis is, you know, Paul Merson actually talked about this too, uh, that he looks lost. He looks lost yeah. in this team, in this system. And right now he looks just like a big old waste of money. And I don't think that's going to change under Mourinho. I really don't. I mean, but he's what what money was wasted on him though? He's lifting a lot of wages. Oh yeah, but I mean, anybody who would be even vaguely close to his quality would be doing the same thing. I mean, do do you actually think that they would move him on in January? I don't think there's any chance of that. No, there's. I I have a hard time seeing another team taking him on with those kind of wages right now in the form that well, he's in. yeah, and he's he's also going to be thirty in December mm-hmm. and. I mean, I think that he's got a lot left in the tank. Um, Maybe. I mean, really, I'm, I'm, starting, I'm starting to have my doubts. I mean, although we should say that given, you know, all of the, the with the Centenario, like the years after years of uh, club, or excuse me, international competitions every summer, you know, that that does have a cumulative effect on your legs. And and I, I think that it's hard to imagine a player who's played that many international matches year after year in his mid to late twenties would, you know, have like that kind of deeper reserve into his mid thirties that we're seeing with a player like, for example, Glenn Murray. Mm-hmm. But I, st- I still think that, you know, I and I don't know what's next for Alexis. I I wouldn't be surprised if he moves on in the summer, um, in part just to clear off some of that wage bill. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, hell, I would I would take him back at Arsenal. <laughs> He's an extremely talented player. Yeah. Uh, no, and and I, I mean, as soon as he hits that thirty year mark, too, the resale value really it goes down yeah, the toilet. But, but at the same time, you, they're not really in a position where they need that. Uh, yeah. money either so well, so here's it's good that they're getting in a lot of money from here's other the other th- the other thing though is that i think that it's not especially given these you know continued drop points and increasing pressure on the manager i don't think it's unthinkable to see jose sacked two or three months from now and then a new manager comes in and then sanchez has a renaissance and then suddenly in the summer you know, United fans are saying, well, hey, now, wait a minute. We don't sell Alexis. Alexis is amazing. So that could be that could be it. It could just be that they I think a lot of players could be a lot more effective in a different system. Really, I, I don't have a, a big problem with the playing with the squad as it is right now. Yes, I, of course, I would like to see some world class wing backs instead of, you know, Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia. But. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's, on paper, that's one of the few weak spots in this team, right? Like Lukaku, world-class striker, I think that's inarguable. Marcus Rashford, an extremely promising forward who could end up being one of the greatest in England's history. David De Gea, inarguably the best goalkeeper in the world. Paul Pogba, inarguably one of the best midfielders in the world. You know, the, like the backbone of, a, uh, I'll even dare to say, championship squad is here. I, I don't think that, I don't think that Mourinho is the only problem. But I mean, I think I imagine we're probably in agreement here that he is the crux of the problems. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I want to get in a director of football. I want a new manager, and then start working from there. And I think that if that all falls into place, you could at least be 
you know, solid, solidly be a title contender again for several years to come. So, yeah, you know, um, I'll ask Santa for a new manager. Hopefully he'll deliver. <laughs> hey, it's coming up. We're only three months away from Christmas. Hey, and you know what? The Chelsea got their wish for that a couple of years ago, right around Christmas time. So maybe St. Nick will bring you a prize. Yep. All I want for Christmas is a new manager. There we go. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a new Christmas classic here, Sam. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Burnley, we should say, picked up their first win. They got a 4 nothing, uh, nice 4 nothing win over Bournemouth at home. Uh, Matej Vidra, Aaron Lennon, and uh, Ashley Barnes scored two goals, Ashley Barnes. So uh, Burnley getting out of their funk here for at least a week. So uh, interesting to see. Liverpool, like we said, they took a 3 nothing win over Southampton. Uh, Wesley Hutt scored an own goal to open up the scoring. Then Joel Matip and Mohamed Salah scored for Liverpool as well. All goals came in the first half. And um, as Liverpool are set to take on Chelsea here two, twice within the span of a week, first in the Carabao Cup and then in the league, uh, Jurgen Klopp said that Chelsea are being overlooked at, as title contenders. So all the buzz, even though Chelsea had a good start, all the buzz is around Liverpool and Man City. Yeah, and I think for good reason. Um, but also Klopp is... Klopp's an intelligent man, and he also tends to be kind of the anti-Mourinho in the way that he deals with the press insofar as it's always, you know, kind of humble deference to other teams before either A, moaning about how he doesn't have enough money to buy players even when he has a war chest, and B, moaning about how his players have, you know, quit on him or betrayed him. So I think that... This is, you got to take it with a small grain of salt in that I think that Klopp is trying to downplay ex, downplay expectations and keep his, you know, keep his players' heads down and not, like, get too much into the, uh, oh, we're clear favorites mentality, which, of course, can be dangerous. Um, but I think that he also, you know, I, 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 he's not just blowing smoke, right? He didn't tell us that, we should all be wary of Fulham charging to win the league or anything. No, in respect I mean, to the cottagers. And his comments too, I feel, are valid. You know, he said that the Chelsea team, a lot of players have experience winning already. Yeah, uh, some of them twice, winning winning the Premier League. So, uh, yeah, you said it. They're a good group and a really strong football team, and totally agree with that. Yeah, and I think that it's it's also interesting that these teams are meeting twice in the span of the week and. Each team also gets a home game, right? Because the League Cup action is going to be at Anfield, and then at the weekend, the Premier League will be at Stamford Bridge. So that's going to be interesting to see as well. Yeah, and just how they line up, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... Liverpool-Chelsea is always a big game, but neither of these managers is going to pick a full-strength squad for, you know, an early-round League Cup match. It's... The the teams at Anfield are going to be a lot of young kids, um, with, peppered with a couple of regular starters. No, that's true. And one of those you know older players that probably will get a chance here that's uh, Gary Cahill, who hasn't played much for Chelsea so far this season. He came in against West Ham. That was his first appearance in any competition. 
And last week he was, you know, voiced his concern that I'm not getting a lot of playing time. Maybe I need need to leave in January. Send send him to the Emirates. We desperately need a better center. You know, and uh, Chelsea assistant Gianfranco Sola, you know, he, he understands that Kale's upset and he wants him to be upset. He wants him to have that hunger. But since he played for England, he came back a little bit later. And Sarri seems to have found a good system right now. So it might take a while for Kale to earn his place back in the starting eleven. Yeah, but the thing, yeah, this is another catch-22. And, you know, it reminds me in some sense what we were talking earlier about Mares is that I know, I again, yeah, he, you, you like, want your player. You like Gary Cahill a lot more than I like Gary. I do like, I have a lot of respect for Gary Cahill. I mean, and it's, Here's the question, though, is that he's also, we should say, five years older than Mares, who's at a very different stage in his career. Uh, It's not like he's, you know, 24, 25 and in that established position, but really wants to kind of kick on and power through the rest of his 20s. No, I mean, and if he is, if he's kept out of this team, that means that Chelsea are putting in consistently solid defensive performances and with a team that is as good as they are, you know, uh, moving forward. And especially as we've said before on this show, if Murata starts finding his form, then that means that Chelsea really will be a championship contender. And if Chelsea are a championship contender, then if I'm Gary Cahill, who is actually, he might even have the same birthday as as, uh, Alexis, but also, has a birthday in December, will be 33 years of age. I mean, do you not want to, at that point, where are you going to go? Because even though I would take him at Arsenal, Arsenal aren't going to be contending for the title this season. There's no chance that that's going to happen. So you're 33 years old. Do you want to be at a club that is challenging for the Premier League title as a squad rotation player? Or do you want to move to, say, a West Ham and be hoping for a solid mid-table finish with the real possibility of a relegation fight. And I'm, again, I'm happy for, uh, I'm happy for the players in my team to be upset when they're not playing, to have that competitive edge and that desire to be on the pitch every minute of every match. But realistically, man, you're not, the only way to go from here is down. And maybe it's moving down and getting more, Playing time is what you want. I can't speak for him personally. It seemed that his comments seemed that way. But I think that, you know, obviously we are not as emotionally wrapped up in this because we're not the players ourselves. But if you take a step back and look at the situation realistically, if Cahill forces a move in January, it's unlikely that he'll ever win the Premier League again. Probably not. No, that's true. I want to see him go back to Aston Villa, bring them into the back into the Premier League. There we go. A nice full, well, full you circle know, thing there. There is that uh, aging center half uh, Chelsea Villa connection. So that's true. Mm-hmm. That would be something. No, but I, it just sounds like he wants more playing time, really. And uh, yeah, he might force a move in January if he's not back into the Chelsea starting 11 which at this point I don't know if he'll ever be if he unless there's an injury or something because they have been playing really well they got good you know people that are younger than him more I would say better with the ball 
playing out through the back and all that stuff. That is the uh, the go-to thing here for a lot of teams. So uh, Cahill might just be better suited elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And again, I I would happily take him at uh, the Emirates. Now, that said, of course, there's the caveat that, well, Arsenal don't have Koscielny back, and when we have Koscielny back, there might not be a place for Cahill in the squad either. But I'd, I mean, here, even for somebody who doesn't have a you know, ton of love for Gary, Seb, I take either or. Do you start Gary Cahill or do you start Shkodron Mustafi? No, I think Cahill is better than Mustafi. 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent. No, Cahill would make the starting eleven in the majority of teams, of course. Yeah, but right now for Chelsea, might just not be the best fit for him. Uh, we're gonna talk more about the Carabao Cup in our next episode, uh, as we got matches throughout the midweek here, and don't really feel like previewing them. Um, we're gonna round things off with a um, little American connection here, uh, Giuseppe Rossi who was uh, born in the U.S., came up through the Manchester United Academy and uh, chose to play for Italy, unfortunately, I guess. But uh, he's been uh, caught positive on a doping test here. Mm -hmm. So the Italian anti-doping agency Nado Italia uh, announced on uh, Tuesday that Rossi will face a hearing on October 1st after testing positive for an eye drug that can be used as a masking agent. So it's something that you use when you want to conceal something that is a no-no on mm -hmm. their list of substances. We don't, I mean, obviously we don't know for a fact that he's done something that he shouldn't be doing, but uh, we'll see what comes out of this hearing because he, he was asked uh, twice in June and July if he was using eye drops for something and he said no. So that sort of, Weird thing, he's he's turned 31 already. Um, he's currently without a club. He played a little bit for Genoa in Serie A last season. Also played for um, Newcastle on loan, Parma. Played for Villarreal, uh, Fiorentina, Levante, Celta Vigo. Long list of, of clubs, but has had a lot of troubles with knee injuries. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to speculate on whether he did or did not take performance-enhancing substance. I mean, I think that I'm a little of two minds on that because I definitely have, you know, I feel for players who are later on in their careers and find their bodies, you know, not responding the way they used to before. And I understand the allure of taking something that'll you know, help you get back there. And I can also understand kind of like tricking yourself into that mentality of, well, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not performance enhancing substance. It's just, it's just enough to get me back out there. And then once I'm out there, it's all me doing it, but it's still cheating, man. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, there's been some speculation that this could be how his career ends. I don't see that happening. I, I think that he's a talented and storied enough footballer that, my guess is that, um, you know, speaking of that American connection, I would not at all be surprised if after this ban, you know, maybe he serves the full year of it. Um, 
maybe he gets it commuted to be just like six or eight months. But I would not at all be surprised to see him in MLS because he's a ta- he's a talented player, but he's kind of long in the tooth. And I think that he's already struggling to get minutes at the best European leagues. But, you know, he could come back to MLS, maybe play in his native New Jersey with the Red Bulls. Mm. Um, and, you know, they like they could pay his what, like two, three million salary and make that back in shirt sales if he features for even half of the season. So, yeah, um, I mean, real, realistic, realistically, too, I don't think he would be super expensive as far as wages go. No, I mean, and I'm I'm looking here, and he was on, he was on two million euros in 2014. So yeah, maybe he, his contract has been restructured, so he's earning a little more than that. Probably, especially because he would be arriving on a free, he would want even more in MLS. But you know, he would not be, he wouldn't be on Zlatan wages. No, absolutely not. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there after that hearing on October first. Uh, the prosecutor is urging for a one-year ban so we'll see what happens there okay we're gonna wrap things up as always you can follow us on twitter i'm seb norn elliot is keats was better and then give one yank one sweet a follow as well and we'll talk to you again later in the week until then have a good one bye-bye